Welcome everybody to the Tag Your It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm David Van Bepper. And we've got a special, special guest again with us in the studio. Who are you, man? This is Doug Shivers, pastor of Boulevard Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Yes, so he's a three-timer. As yes, far as I remember, this is the third time, time that he's been on the program. And he's, it'd be awesome oh to have him every time, you know, and just let him have the Tag Your It podcast, you know. <laughs> that, that I ever get an, a second invite is always intriguing to me. So. Yeah, a third one even. And a third, yeah, I'm not sure what to do with that. I don't have a category. <laughs> well, your first program was still like one of our most viewed uh, mm-hmm. programs and all. We actually, I don't think that it's actually on YouTube because it was before we were doing YouTube and. Right. Just doing Facebook Live, but on Facebook Live, I want to say that it's in the top three, probably. So, and that was like that, 2018, summer of 2018, if I remember right. Yeah. So, right, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was whenever I was in my basement and we had it like kind of over. Yes. And so, things have uh, you know changed drastically in uh, three moves and a right. uh, little bit more space <laughs> and a little bit cleaner uh, in the background and sound and all that stuff. But yeah, so people have hung out. Uh, and and uh, and supported us through all of our uh, messes and all that kind of stuff. So it's been really awesome yep. being on the fifth season and stuff, and having you uh, yet again. And especially whenever um, I think yeah, the last time that we uh, had a conversation with you was at the it was at the Missouri Baptist Missouri Baptist yeah. Annual Meeting in Bolivar in yeah. 2019. Was it Bolivar? Branson. Branson? Branson. Yeah, Branson. Uh-uh. Yeah. Bees. See, I make mistakes. There's a lot of bees. Bolivar, Buffalo, Branson. There's a lot of bees around here. There are. <laughs> so, but yeah, so we had a conversation about kind of the state of the Missouri Baptist Convention. And so uh, we wanted to bring you on about the big old convention. So it's been, we didn't have a big uh, Southern Baptist annual meeting last year because of all the None. mess with COVID and all None. that fun stuff. Um, so this is a big one, isn't it? It it very well could be. It uh, The estimate I've seen may be as many as 15,000 messengers. Yeah. Yeah. It's and there's just, going to be a lot of visitors there too. So, oh yeah, yeah, and that's the. Of course, the largest one was Dallas in '85 hmm. with forty-five or forty-six thousand. Were you there? I was. Man, sweet! Yeah. Wow. Did you, you have any memorabilia you can wear? Eighty-five no. <laughs> <laughs> Southern Baptist Annual Meeting there, Survivor. There was, there was no memorabilia, but it, it was oh. it was a fascinating event. Uh, I yeah, I mean, if you're just looking back at some of the history, I, my first one to attend was in 1984. Mm-hmm. I went to the Kansas City Convention, where um, elected Charles Stanley, hmm. and then we lived through a year of. Raging, shouting, jumping up and down, lots of newsletters, uh, which was then, of course, the equivalent of today's social media, which is not really equivalent. But a lot of mimeograph stuff, a lot of stuff coming in the mail, a lot of offset printing things that were done and a variety of meetings. So we arrive in Dallas and uh, I drove. It was honestly one of the strangest things to ever behold whenever they open up the convention center and we got there we had well what you did is you sent one of your group 
early, like at mm-hmm. 7 a.m., stand outside the doors so that when they finally open the doors at, say, 8.30 or 9, you had to race the little old ladies for the best seats in the auditorium, mm-hmm. the WMU ladies. <laughs> who will knock you down and run over you on their way to get a seat. <laughs> and uh, So saved a group of seats. The rest of us showed up, and we didn't leave that place all day or all evening. Oh, wow. Uh, two of us would go out, and there was a – it was funny. It was a McDonald's uh, just off the parking lot. And I've never been to a McDonald's where the lines, all the lines, extended outside the building and wrapped around the McDonald's. Hmm. There was that many people trying to get food. And so one of us went in, two of us actually bought food for our group of about eight, hiked back to the center, sat there and ate, and observed all the, the festivities, as it were. Yeah, yeah, wow. Well, see, I'm a little concerned about the parking in Nashville. It's been a little while. It's been like 10 years plus since I've been to Nashville, and I've never been to the music center. So... I've looked at some of the parking and I'm um, I'm gonna go I'm gonna leave on Sunday night and mm-hmm. or right out Sunday afternoon, right after church, get down there in a cheap motel for that first night, and then the next few nights, Midwest Christian Outreach is paying for me to be there. So mm. so okay. I get to go. Yeah I, yeah, I wouldn't have gone otherwise. I had no plan and I just get a phone call right. from we've had a guy on a few times, uh, Don Vino, who is the mm-hmm. director of Midwest Christian Outreach, and he said, Hey, you wanna go to the Southern Baptist Annual Meeting? And I said Sure. He said, okay, you can stay in my hotel room with me. And I was like, oh, nice. Perfect. I said, well, let me ask my, let me see if with my wife, if we're okay to do the gas and to do the, um, the meals. And Mm -hmm. so she's like, yeah, it'll be about $250 maybe give or take, you know, if you you eat out every meal, you know, however you're going to do it. And I was like, all right. So before I could even call him back, he's like, oh, tell us how much it'll be. And we'll write you a check. Oh, and well, that's so oh. yeah, they underwrote the whole thing. They even gave me more yeah. than what I asked for. So God was really good to be able to get me there. <laughs> yeah, the, the the small church I pastored there in Oklahoma had a budget for convention and conference, and yeah. so um, I was connected enough in that day that I knew the guys who knew the guys to get in the convention motel. Ooh, whoa! And so I was always within walking distance of the convention. So yeah. that, that was nice. And, uh, you know, it was at that time, there weren't any other conferences I really went to. And so that would be, I was just looking back. I went 84, five, six, and seven. Mm-hmm. I went those four years together. Um, and I've been maybe once or twice since only because it was nearby. So let me do something. We really didn't have this in our outline, but I kind of want to make sure that I track this. So you were at the largest Southern Baptist annual meeting ever in Dallas, 1985. You went to the one in Kansas City, uh, Mm -hmm. and then you go down to Dallas. So what was it that made it such a big deal then? And then kind of maybe you can parallel that a little bit with what's going on, you know, here Mm -hmm. uh, in the current SBC. track of things right well what you'd had was the when the conservatives finally figured out what they had to do to actually change the direction of the convention uh i mean the controversy had been going on since the 60s 
uh, the whole issue over Eliot's uh, book on Genesis and then the Broadman Bible commentary that included a fellow writing on Genesis as myth and legend mm -hmm. uh, really stirred folks up. And then Chriswell, Dr. W.A. Chriswell from First Baptist Dallas, I believe it was in 1970, preached a sermon at the pastor's conference or convention. I, I'm, I'm not sure about that now. Why I preach the Bible is literally true, which was booed, honestly, if what I understand, by several of the more moderate and liberal members of the convention. Yeah. Um, and the conservatives knew how to throw a fit and they knew how to get a committee, but they had no idea how to actually affect the outcomes. Hmm. So somebody finally read the Constitution and bylaws and figured out, well, we need to elect the president. And then the president, in his power to elect the Committee on Committees and uh, Committee on Boards, uh, make sure he's got the right people because those are the ones who then go about getting the trustees mm -hmm. for organizations. Well, it began, what, 79, 80, along in there. And the conservatives kept winning. Uh, they were well-networked. They knew how to get word out. Whenever Stanley won in 84, it was like the moderate faction realized they had to really push to make a change if they were going to derail this thing. So that's what happened in 85. Now, I've never confirmed any of this, but the rumors were right about busloads of people and seminary students being sent as messengers and their way being paid to get them there. Whether any of that is true or not, who knows? Yeah. Hmm. But they did not expect 45,000 messengers. Wow. I think they got 30,000 of us in the main hall. And then the other 15 had to work on closed circuit television in another room which that also made the votes kind of intriguing because they'd count the main room or get an idea and then they'd have to get a report from the uh, extra areas and uh, the, the spillover rooms. So everything was slowed. But mm -hmm. this was the place where, if you will, the moderates made, I think, in a sense, really their last stand. It was the attempt to stop what they saw. They called it the fundamentalist takeover. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, I, I think, inappropriate. I, I mean, compared to them, sure, fundamentalist. Yeah. Uh, compared to historic Christianity, conservative. Yeah, yeah. Primarily what was going on. Yeah, it depends on, yeah, what you're, because that's a very relative term, and it's still getting tossed around pretty relative. So it depends yeah, on, absolutely. like you're saying, where you're viewing it from. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, and so this was the convention where there was an attempt to offer a substitute slate of nominees for offices, uh, boards, agencies, kinds of things. And the chair wasn't prepared for that challenge, or didn't seem to be, and said, we'll have to talk to our uh, parliamentarian. And they came back the next session and ruled it out of order, hmm. that they could not en masse substitute a whole slate that if they wanted to do substitutions, they had to do it one person at a time. In other words, you could not challenge the whole group. You had to challenge individual nominees. Mm. Oh, my, the pandemonium <laughs> that ensued. Shouts of point of order and uh, 
point of privilege. And, uh, of course, all that ruled out of order. Uh, and then a, a lay couple who had been behind some of this, uh, one long after that, they went to court to sue the convention that uh, they had made the wrong call and it disenfranchised them. Of course, they ultimately lost because the courts didn't want to get involved in an internecine battle within the convention. But yeah, and I still remember, uh, I, I think it might have been Cecil Sherman. I was near enough a microphone he was standing at, Cecil has gone on to be the Lord now, but uh, either he or another stood and said something like, as we oppose totalitarianism in the regimes in the Middle East, so we oppose totalitarianism on the platform of the Southern Baptist Convention, and they ruled him out of order and shut off his mic. And hmm. uh, that was, it was quite the day. Hmm. And then by, whenever it happened again in Atlanta, uh, that they couldn't turn things around. I think at that point they knew the handwriting was on the wall. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting yeah. thing because it causes me to then kind of move into one of our questions that we had put on there. And sorry, we didn't do all the background on where you that's were, right, but then I'm glad to just jump right into it. Um, are we in uncharted territory? I mean, I hear people saying this is the end of the SBC. This is, this is game over. Uh, <laughs> I've heard, like you've said, the, the liberals have taken over. It just seems very, very, um, there's a lot of hostility. If you get on any SBC type of group, there's this massive amount of hostility. And I say that it goes on from either side. I mean, if you look at just what mm -hmm. has happened here in the last few days regarding Dr. Moore and uh, Mike uh, Stone, like... Yeah. Is this something that has never happened before? Uh, where are we? I, I wouldn't say it has never happened before. I, well, uh, let's clarify. It's never happened when we've had social media. Gotcha. Hmm. Uh, in the day of the conservative resurgence in the 80s, like I said, we were using newsletters and mailing lists. You had to sign up to get the information, or you had to make the effort to go to a live event. Um, now, I was committed enough at that time over the issue of inerrancy. I asked and was kind of stunned, but Paige Patterson actually came to my little church in Ponca City, Oklahoma, hmm. uh, to speak about it. And I hosted a thing for the local uh, pastors in our association. Uh, so there was a lot of travel on the part of guys like Pressler and Patterson and company trying to explain what was going on and why it was such a big deal. As far as whether this is uncharted waters, um, I, I guess the, the element that I think is a bit new is there does seem to be a bit of a angry, and I use the term capital F fundamentalist mindset, mm -hmm. that... Um, is demanding things that I'm not sure can be demanded and our conventions survive. Uh, Baptist faith and message was always meant to be the parameters doctrinally. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, if you read the document, even the 2000, it's, it is to me what I'd call a pretty big tent conservative Baptistic confession. Um, a lot of room under it. But um, 
what seems to get muddled to me is we seem to be mixing up theological conviction with secular political positions. Yes, yes. And like it or not, the Southern Baptist Convention is being identified, I think, in a big part of Christendom and certainly the secular world as the religious arm of the Republican Party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even to an extent, the Trump version of the Republican Party. And I, that kind of connection is, is to me a bit troubling. Yeah. I'm not saying that your faith doesn't impact how you vote, how you think. But there, there ought to be a little bit of room here for some disagreements about political things. Yeah. Um, and that is, is an issue. I think um, the uncharted water that we're dealing with in terms of critical theory yeah. and its impacts. Now, you know, the big deal right now is, of course, the infamous resolution number nine. Yes. Mm-hmm. From 2019. And if you read the resolution... The resolution itself is, to me, somewhat innocuous. I'd agree. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I read it and I go, eh, okay. Maybe not the way I'd have worded it, but not a huge deal. Except they don't accurately note the origins. Yeah. Of yes. Sport. Now, I think a lot of this energy could have been diffused had they received Tom Askell's amendment as a friendly amendment and made it part of the resolution. Mm -hmm. If they had done that, a lot of the heat, I think, would have dropped out of this. But for whatever reasons, they decided not to do that. Now, I do understand. Here's a resolutions team, and I don't know how big that resolutions committee is. I don't recall off the top of my head. But they're being obligated in the space of, say, less than 24 hours to sort through a whole, you know, laundry list of resolutions. Yeah. And to come up with something they think the whole convention can support. So I get that that's hard. And I have some sympathy for that. But as I watched, I actually watched the, uh, the video, the recording of what happened. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here shaking my head that guys, you stepped in it right there. Oh, yeah. If you'd have simply included what Tom noted, because what Tom brought forward was accurate, yeah. you might have saved yeah. yourself a lot of grief. Yeah. Um, I do think that critical theory, you know, this wedding of Marxism and postmodern deconstruction is impacting our society, has been for decades, and we just didn't recognize it. Uh, now, it's funny to me now. A little sad and a little humorous. I, I go back. I've been going back and reading Francis Schaeffer again. Oh, you know the first three: um, the God who's there, escape from reason. He's there and he's not silent. Yeah. And suddenly, things that in my twenties that I read because I had no experience with postmodernism now all suddenly make all sorts of sense because Schaeffer was seeing this in its nascent forms in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. In fact, this quote stood out to me. I, I, I wrote this down. He writes this in 1972. I think science is going to die. I think its death is coming. I think it's only going to be, it's going to be reduced to two things, mere technology and another form of sociological manipulation. Mm. 
I do not believe for a moment that science is going to be able to continue with its objectivity once the base that brought forth has totally been destroyed. Yeah. So you are dealing with worldview things that we weren't necessarily in the 80s. Um, so I guess in some ways it's unique. I just also think there's just a, a lot of heat and not a great deal of light. Mm, you know? I like that a lot. It causes yeah. me to think just a little bit. And I, I have read, I think, all three of those Schaefer books, and it's been a few years since I went through them, talking maybe three years, so not all that long ago. But I always don't remember as well as I'd like. Adam can tell you that I can read a book and be like, oh, well, I didn't don't remember everything. That's why I have to highlight and, and go, because yeah. otherwise oh, I'm like, oh, I know that that book says something about that. Uh, yes. It makes me think a little bit about um, uh, Kuhn, right, and structures of scientific revolutions. I mean, right. that falls right in line with what he says there, and we've seen that. And I think your beautiful picture of that is... That statement, evangelicals don't believe in science, and wait a second, your definition of science has moved so much. Exactly. Of course we don't believe in your science. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I, what, what sums it up, though, I think, is just if you're speaking about Schaefer, is the other one, the Christian Manifesto, uh, starting out from the gate, and I think it's something that can be not just, he, he's speaking to Christians at the, at the very beginning there. And in the whole book or whatever, but I think it can be um, even more broad. Um, but he's talking about how we view things in parts and pieces and not totals. So he's looking yeah. at that. And that's the big deal is, say, Resolution 9 here. They're looking at the parts and pieces and they're going, okay, you know, so here comes the analytical tool. It's, it's a tool. Right. And it's like, wait, no, 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 no. And then what Tom Askell is going, but there's a worldview. There's a total yes. And here, here's what Francis Schaeffer has been saying and dealing with for all yes. this long time. And I mean, it does come from Van Til and, and that, and that uh, view and the, the Kuyperian, like just all that stuff that came out of the Dutch reformers and their theology and just putting totals together, systems together and explain that Christianity is a unit and not just parts and pieces that yeah. we subscribe to arbitrarily. That, that thing that yeah. gets missed here is critical theory. And that doesn't matter whether you're talking, uh, you know, all the things of colonial theory, race theory, gender theory, queer theory, fat theory, ableist theory, all those things all come out of the same mindset. Mm -hmm. They all, and they're, they're all totalizing worldviews. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not, I'm not going to be so, I think it'd be over the top for me to say there's nothing to be learned here. But you better learn it from a Christian worldview so you recognize what's truth and what isn't. Yeah. What may be a legitimate observation, possibly even some elements of help in the path forward. The other thing that I think happens, though, guys, is if you look at, like, the, the black churches and ministers who have distanced themselves because of what the, con the convention presidents, I mean, the seminary presidents, saying CRT does not work with the confession, the Baptist faith and message. Yeah. I think one of the things I'm hearing, and I think this is true, a lot of the folks that are espousing these things do not see them in terms, terms of total worldviews. Yeah. They have heard bits and pieces, and there's elements that are probably truthful and accurate. And it's, well, I go back to this. At one time, the people believed in a geocentric theory of the universe. 
And even then, astronomers could plot the paths of stars and planets, even though that was inaccurate. A heliocentric shifts it, makes it better, but it didn't mean the geocentric got everything wrong. Yeah. So all I'm saying is I think whenever we start making these statements, we've also got to take into account the broadness of our audience and not merely sound like we're dumping uh, on something entirely without saying there may be a little more nuance here than we're recognizing. Yeah. Well, yeah. and we so we well said. never sacrificed. It was so was well quit. said because I remember watching it live in 2019. Right. Um, I don't know. Maybe I was a little goofy. I watched the whole thing live on the website i mean that mm -hmm. two days i might as well have been in alabama right exactly. uh, and yeah. so they're i mean you know it's winding down and they get to the resolutions and i'm listening to them like wait a second why in the man i haven't heard about critical theory since i was in graduate school at missouri state what are you guys talking about yeah. oh wait we're affirming this and so i did talk to adam pretty quickly i was like we need to we need to write a resolution to uh, combat this this is wrong and we did and we submitted it in 2019 and it didn't even get to pass the committee and i asked two of the members of the committee that i knew i was like what is the deal with this like it's an important thing and both of them said and they were right on with this nobody here knows what critical theory is but you and a few others mm -hmm. why do we want to denounce it and i was like but because we affirmed it. <laughs> yes, because uh, you just said what you said and we affirmed it. Exactly. <laughs> and of course, you know, there's a part yeah. of me that's sitting there saying, I I'll just admit it. In some ways, I wish that the convention would stop doing resolutions. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure what we're accomplishing. Yeah. We make a declaration. But the reality, if you do the, view this as strictly Baptist polity question, all right? We don't send delegates, we send messengers. We don't instruct people from our church, if they go, how to vote, okay? That would create a connectionalism. It would say that, well, you do it this way because we have to submit to whatever they say. The fact is the Southern Baptist Convention, when it meets next week, the year of our Lord, 2021, is merely the statement of the messengers at that convention. Now, you say, well, aren't they speaking for the whole SBC? No, they're speaking for that gathered convention at that time. Now, I'm not going to be so foolish to say that doesn't have an impact how we're viewed in the world and those other issues. I just think at this point, the process to me is kind of gummed up. And so I almost would be of the, of the mindset to just drop the resolutions. Yeah. Hmm. That's what you're, saying I, there. You're, you're taking a chunk of business time. And now we're going to take another chunk to basically, if not repudiate, uh, come out with a better nuanced resolution. One hopes <laughs> in the summer, I guess if you don't pass resolutions, you don't often have to go back and um, recant. Yeah. Oh, that's right on. Well, and yeah. it, of course, it makes me think about the first Southern Baptist resolution about abortion, where we said, yes. 
hey, it's a good, and I think it was 74. You know, it's funny. I just read something right. about it today. It was 74, <laughs> 75, where we basically said, yeah, you know, abortion's fine if it's rape. It's, it's fine if there's something wrong with the fetus. And I believe that that was even the terminology in the resolution. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Christian, that was the position of the Christian Life Commission, what was the antecedent to the ERLC today. Foy Valentine actually, who headed that up, took a pro-choice position. So the CLC, the old Christian Life Commission, mm -hmm. uh, was actually put the Southern Baptist Convention on the map as being pro-choice. Abortion was seen as a Roman Catholic issue. Mm -hmm. It was, and, uh, you know, Adam, your reference to Christian Manifesto, the fact is it was Schaefer, I think, that had as much impact as anybody on raising the Protestant conscience mm -hmm. about the issue of abortion. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, especially in that book, yeah, yeah. Well, Doug, we want to be really good with your time, and we so appreciate you coming on, but could you maybe give us, uh, with the time that you have left, don't let us push you over your time, I told you about 30 minutes, and, and we've taken more than 30 minutes already. Oh, but... brother, I'd set aside an hour if need oh, be, so we you. good. Good, good. <laughs> well, uh, tell me a little bit, as we go in, what would you hope that we actually accomplish? You've been an active part of the Southern Baptist Convention, your entire ministry uh, that God has called you to. Uh, hopefully, there are many years left of you being a Southern Baptist. You know, uh, I've told individuals in my church, if they get things wrong, it's not the end of the world. There's right. always course correction. And yeah. so if you, you know, looking at it in a hopeful way, what would you hope that we resolve here? You know, you've kind of, you've touched base on a few of those things, but like if you put it into a few bullet points. I think the first thing is there needs to be a clarification on CRT, critical mm -hmm. race theory. Uh, we, we stepped in it two years ago. We need to clean up the mess. Yeah. We need a much clearer declaration where we see that coming from. I do wish that there were some nuance in how we dealt with our brothers and sisters, black pastors, black churches. I would love to talk about dreams. If Vodibachum recovers, which I pray God that he will, you know, I would love if somebody would host a conference where Vodibachum and say Thabiti Anyabuile were the two key speakers. Hmm. And then talk about CRT and their understanding as Christian brothers, theologians. Here's why we take different positions and have a Q&A, have the chance for the guy that didn't speak to interact and ask questions. I don't mean necessarily a debate format, but something where those of us who are here wrestling and trying to struggle through it could hear the discussion. I wonder when it's all said and done, we might come out and say, you know what, guys, we may not be as far apart as we think we are. We need to be a little more judicious. Well, and with, that's such a yeah. big problem when it comes to social media interactions. Yes. And that yeah. is, it's changed our minds. We have been used by the medium of social yeah. media. It has changed that's the way we think. It has changed. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is read generational trends. You know why mm -hmm. alcohol use, marijuana use, and preteen pregnancy and teenage pregnancy have all went down because everything happens in the media world. I mean, my kids don't go and hang out on Friday nights with other kids. They don't even hardly have kids come over and spend the night. 
Because right. they're just going to talk online. They're just going to face, they're just going to, you know, I don't know, whatever medium they're using, right? Uh, but they're going to they're gonna chat, right? It, and that's it how they're going to do it. changed everything. And that's, yeah. see the other thing, and there's nothing to do for this. But one of the things I lament with social media as it relates to the convention is, okay, in the 80s, you had to put skin in the game to have influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In other words, you had to have enough money to, to get stuff printed, to get it mailed, to develop a mailing list. If you wanted to talk to people, you actually had to get on a plane or get in a car and go. Yeah. Okay. Today's social media doesn't cost you anything. And it doesn't matter if you're an ignoramus. <laughs> you can be heard. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that's harsh, but I've, I've heard far too many twits uh, <laughs> online to to characterize it any other way. I just want to say, when I see some of the arguments, it just makes me, honestly, it makes me furious. I want to reach through and grab people, shake them and say, now, let's talk about how language works and let's talk about how an argument works. You just leapt from a logical argument to an ad hominem attack. Uh, I, I can get on and say, yeah, you're happy and your mother dressed funny. That does answer the question. Can we not interact with each other civilly, straightforwardly? Apparently not. So I hope that would come out of the Southwest Convention. I think there ought to be some, there's going to have to be some way to get some better transparency. Um, hmm. Okay, Russell Moore. I, I, overall, I thought Russ Moore did a brilliant job leading the ERLC. He was pro. He, he was pro-life unapologetically. He was pro-adoption. He did the right things when it came to the state, um, calling for morals and ethics. I found all that exceptional. Uh, he gets in trouble because he makes a comment about basically, you know, the whole never Trump thing and ticked a bunch of people off. Well, okay. Should Russ have talked about that? Probably not as the head of the ERLC. But I give him a pass on that. I'm sitting here in my own congregation watching people struggle over who to vote for in the last election because they find the previous president so morally reprehensible. Um, And I just think that, you know, I, I get that there's a struggle, but it just feels like there's a bit of a fundamentalist pushback. I think there's a good old boys network out there that's going to protect one another no matter what. I think it is a shame that we have not created some kind of reporting capacity for the Southern Baptist Convention when it comes to churches who have had instances of sexual abuse that has not been properly addressed or the persons involved held properly accountable. Now, I get there's all sorts of problems legally. There are certain things you cannot disclose. But there have been an awful lot of predators who have managed to keep on in a predation posture because we've not had a better system. Yeah. Oh, right on. I think that that's really well said. And and that is one of the things that I wrestle with uh, when it comes to how our cooperative program dollars are being spent. I do agree with some of the more... uh, I would even I have no problem saying what I would say the fundamentalist wing, 
right, who say that people like Mueller are not conservative enough, right, that they're liberal. I agree with the idea of being transparency. Look, transparent with the way that our funds are being used and how they're Mm -hmm. being allocated. I mean, I'm Southern Baptist for a reason, and and, and I believe in the cooperative program. Heck, I've read one sacred effort, (laughs) right? (laughs) And so um, (laughs) puts me in a good category, I think. Yeah, <laughs> and so does. I think you know my 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 grandmother was a career missionary with the IMB. You know, so I have a real love for it. You know, that was something growing up. Like, oh man, you should be a missionary. I mean, we I still remember the poster. You can win them all to Christ when you give to the cooperative program. Sat in the back of our little Southern Baptist church, and I yep. grew up hearing the word cooperative program, home mission board seminary yes. you know those are all things and they're so so vital but if we are giving someone so much money and then the next thing you know they turn around and say well i'm done there's a real problem with the way that we're dealing with that and then here we are and i do agree with you with this statement now we're paying for dr moore to not be the president of the erlc for the next six months <laughs> that's hard for me to tell my little church Hey guys, by the way, it's really important that we continue to give to the cooperative program, knowing, you know, but at the same time, I'm like, hey, I think we're doing really good things at our seminaries. I think that there are some awesome things with church revitalization. I'm so grateful that they, they, they did, I think, mess up with some of the ways that they dealt with the expansion of the North American Mission Board. But at the same time, you can't always get that strategy right. I don't think it was intentionally done. You know, it, might, it cost my dad all kinds of money because <laughs> he was well, yeah, still getting I, stuff. But you see, what you're doing here, David, what I'm hearing from you, what, what you guys are saying to me sounds like, how about a little bit of generosity in people's motives and what's on their minds? Okay, am I a little concerned about some of the things I've heard come out of the mouths of some of the guys in the seminary? RT. Yeah, I am. But I'm still not convinced the trustee system is so broken that the trustees can't deal with it. I also know that when you're trying to administer an institution as large as, say, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Mm. there's a lot of considerations there. Legally, morally, ethically, there's a lot of stuff going on. So I tend to take more of, there's a reason we call them trustees. We are trusting them. Mm-hmm. to deal with this. Now, if it becomes apparent that's not being done, okay, let's act. But I am concerned about the so-called conservative Baptist network. Yeah, uh, I'm concerned. I, I don't know Mike Stone, probably a good fellow, as far as I know, is a good fellow. But I'm nervous about some of the folks that I have seen behind him. Um. And even if he's elected, I the convention will survive this. Um, at least that's my assessment at the moment. But I think if we don't find a way to work with each other, if we can't find a way for the Calvinists and the non-Calvinists to coexist, if we can't find a way to talk about these dangerous critical theories in intelligent, winsome, but strongly convictional, clear ways... Um, and if we don't find a way to kind of deal with this good old boy network, I, that's my concern. I always remind myself the SBC is a parachurch organization. 
And parachurch organizations never survive long term. Yeah. The Lord promised the church would make it. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> right. Not the SBC. Yeah. I understand well that. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people, um, cause I, you know, I, I can talk that way to some people and they definitely find that concerning. It's the same thing with like America. If like, I just, I say even like if, if America becomes an enemy of Jesus Christ, what is Christ doing right now? Ruling and reigning, putting all things underneath his feet, all his enemies become a footstool. And if America does become a footstool, we as Christians should be like, yeah, like we're okay with it. If America becomes an enemy, you know, the idea of America, whatever it is, and however God disposes of it, we should be okay with it. So even if we are committed to, as a convention that's labeled Southern Baptist Convention, and and to a Baptist faith and message and all that kind of stuff, we should also be willing to let it go yes. if it becomes an enemy, because we yeah. can definitely be if, you know become enemies ourselves. So, yeah, that if, if that's the the main, and I'm not. Please understand, yeah. I benefit from this myself. Yeah. I'm not looking for its demise exactly, but I do think that we have lost a lot of folks. Uh, say sub forty. Mm-hmm. Um, because we've not addressed some issues we should have and certainly not addressed them well. Yeah. And we're again from 1985, you know, it's, it's a whole generation. We're looking at 40 years exactly. from the last time that it was heavily attended and voted and had something. So, you know, we, you know, the Southern Baptist convention didn't meet last year. And so, you know, what, what happened with that, you know, as we still have a lot of people going like, why is uh, JD Greer still president? You know, there's so many rules, um, I don't know what you think about that and like how you'd think you'd resolve that, but that's a whole like another show. <laughs> yeah, that could so, be a whole other show pretty easily. I suspect. Yeah. I would so. say this, and I know we're kind of coming to a close with Dr. Greer. I was really excited when he got elected. I thought that mm-hmm. his, um, who's your one campaign was outstanding, but outside of that, man, I, I, I think, and it's easy for me to be an armchair um, mm-hmm. quarterback. Right. But, when I think about what is going to be the defining piece in the last few years, it will be what happened in 2019 when they voted to affirm that resolution. And that's going to create, because here's what's going to happen in my mind. It's going to be repealed like right away. First thing's going to happen is they're not going to want to set to let to seat the saddleback messengers. There's going to be a big uproar about that. Then it is repeal resolution nine mm-hmm. that will pass, and then Southern Baptists are white nationalists. Yeah, and that that I hate to even think about that. I, I think you're right. That's, but I think we have always struggled to live past our heritage on that. Unfortunately, yeah. um, our history shouts that. So. You know the what was the first one you're talking about before this the repealing the oh the the saddleback thing yeah yeah you know another I'll just say this briefly if Southern Baptists don't have a clear conversation about the meaning of the terms ordination and pastor and minister and separating that's where we've gotten ourselves in trouble as I see it over the issue of women mm-hmm. um, if if you use the model most churches do now where uh, it goes back to kind of the business model where you've got the CEO is the pastor, the deacons are the board, and then the CEO brings on whatever staff he wants, and the terms get loosey-goosey. 
Mm-hmm. What's a pastor? What's not a pastor? And what does that even mean? Uh, because we got away from concepts of elders leading and deacons, and I'm, I'm a committed congregationalist. But because we don't have a biblical model, as I see in a lot of our churches, we've created some of our own grief. Yeah. If, if I had a woman in my church that was excellent with children's ministry and we wanted her to run that, I don't see that as a problem. I wouldn't call her pastor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that term has a meaning that I don't think is applicable here. Uh, but because we've not defined terms well, I think that's part of the reason we're having the upheaval we are over the issue of Saddleback and others. Yeah, so this goes back to, you know, inerrancy back in the day. And so we're seeing these things crop up like that. You you have to have yeah. inerrancy and then you make it the authority, right? And then you get all your terms and definitions from Scripture, which we haven't done. So that's well, if you, Yeah, it's not an believe in inerrancy if you don't believe in sufficiency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. And that's, you know, and Vadi Bakum has talked about that. That's why CRT is such a big deal because uh, yes. it does hit the sufficiency of scripture. So, you know, I hope that, you know, if there's any sort of conservative resurgence again, you know, not the big F fundamentalist, um, just reacting to reacting to stop something, but you know, like we do, like, I have no problem with getting back to the fundamentals. We need to, and we need to get back to the, the necessity and authority yeah. and inspiration and exactly. inerrancy and all that kind of stuff and sufficiency being the key um, that would be the next target to solidify. Cause you know, I looked in the Baptist faith and message and I understand it's generalness, but you know, like there sufficiency is in there, but I think it can, since it's oozing with inerrancy now in the 2000, I think a generation later, I think we can beef up that sufficiency language without really tromping on anybody's toes but i think it, that's a necessary next step in the in that understanding of what baptists believe about the scripture so yeah right on so yeah well doug next week at this time i will be at the founders conference probably at the abolitionist <laughs> table i don't know how much of the founders conference i'm going to get but i'll be hanging out with bill askel so you yeah. know That'll be absolutely. Good. We'll tell Bill I said hello. I will. I will we, be sure. We've met. Know. It's been quite some time ago. He may recall that. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, really appreciate yeah, all thank you so that much. you do in the oh. Missouri Baptist Convention. Thank you mm-hmm. for your example here as a Southern Baptist pastor, uh, as one who does have, I believe, a very biblical view of the office of pastor. Uh, I love that you are an errantist. I need to send you a copy of my book, by the way. Um, yes, you do. I wouldn't I, argue that for a moment. I will be sure to I'll do have to, thing. Since, it, since he's just like right that direction from me <laughs> right now, you know, I might just have to drive one over and, you know, maybe get some uh, boudin or something with you. Let us give you a copy. Three times on, I think we can give you a copy of the book. Yeah. Well, we, I, we don't have any golden jackets for you to wear. <laughs> <laughs> that looks wrong on yeah. my side. <laughs> oh, man. Well, well yeah, thank you so much. And, you know, I just uh, want to thank you again, you know, just to let the audience know, you know, I go to Redeemer Church here in Springfield. And this is a man that is uh, heavily has been involved um, in many uh, ministries and, and ministers that are part of Redeemer. Um, a lot of uh, like, you know, just I guess you could say the Acts 29 folks, you know, can always point to to Doug here. And so he's a he's an awesome guy, um, been described as like his brain is a sponge. 
and just to, <laughs> to be around you and just to, to listen to what you've been through, what you know, um, and then just the compassion that you have. So we, you know, I personally thank you. Um, Redeemer has a great relationship with Boulevard. And if you're looking for the gospel and a gospel community, um, even though I'd like to be with you at Redeemer Boulevard is another great, uh, uh, congregation to definitely well, be a part. And we're still, you know, we're still working together. It's really awesome because there's a Redeemer sticker on the back of a Boulevard bus right now. So, <laughs> right, <there he> is. <laughs> so yeah, so we're, we're in cahoots and everything, but yeah, I just want to let, uh, you know, people that listen here know if you're in Springfield and, and you're in need of a, um, a church family. Um, I can definitely highly recommend Boulevard um, and the sitting under the teaching and, and the, and the leadership. It's not just Doug there. It's the whole leadership. You know, he's, you, you've worked hard on eldership and all that stuff over the years. And, you know, from the people that I've met um, wonderful, wonderful crew of leaders. Um, and, you know, just uh, wanted to make sure that people that are listening here um, hear about uh, your ministry there. And if they want to check you out and become a part of the family, uh, that's definitely a high recommend from as me, whoever I am. So <laughs> thank you. We're That's grateful. very kind. We're grateful, Fellas. Doug, and uh, hope that you continue to uh, preach the gospel here in Springfield for many years ahead. So yeah, always <laughs> nice to say, talk to one of my dad's college friends. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> right. That's yeah. exactly right. <laughs> always a small world. So it's awesome. But yeah. Oh, so we have taken up the hour anyway, yes. so thank you for the extra time that I, we didn't know that we were going to get today. And so with that said, this is the Tag Your It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I'm Dave. And I'm Doug. And Soli. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.